A martial arts student once climbed the slopes of a great mountain to the monastery at the top. He asked for the master there, who, when they were introduced, said earnestly, I am devoted to studying your martial system. How long will it take me to master it? The teacher's reply was casual. Ten years, he said. Impatiently, the student responded, But I wish to master it faster than that. I will work hard, very hard. I will practice every day for ten or more hours if I must. How long will it take then? The teacher thought for a moment and said, In that case, twenty years. Effort is a strange thing. Without it, we accomplish nothing. And yet too much effort also somehow fails to bring accomplishment. When we hear a joke that isn't funny, or see someone flirt unsuccessfully, or apprehend the stilted message of a lackluster movie, we often say that they are trying too hard. There is, it seems, a quality to effort that can sometimes make it forced, and therefore useless. Too much effort is just as bad as none. We also often confuse efficiency with speed. We are pleased when our service at a restaurant or government agency is fast, but only when it is also good. No one wants service which is fast but poor, and when we do get this, we often say that the agent or server was rushing things, moving too fast, and we associate a lack of care with their speed. But act too slowly, and we will accuse them of the same thing, or, to sum up the point in the laconic yet beautiful maxims which so often come from contemplative warriors, there is a saying which likely originated in the U.S. SEAL teams that goes, Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. So often the things we want are the result of patient attention, not pressured exertion. And in so much of our lives, what we really want is smooth. And while you and I may know what we mean when we say that, it's hard to articulate into conventional or definitional terms. But to try anyway, when we say that we want things to be smooth, we mean that we want a life where we never feel rushed, but where things move fast enough that we never get bored. A life with enough opportunities to keep us busy, but not so many commitments that we become overwhelmed. A life where we get what we want, but not so much of it that we lose our appreciation. A life where we have to try, but ultimately succeed, and where we can fail safely without jeopardizing past successes. But to reach smooth by the cultivation and then use of patient attention instead of pressured exertion takes real effort, though of course not too much. While there are many places to start, Perhaps the balanced walk towards the smooth is best began, grown, and maintained by the ancient practice of meditation. I'm Dean Delp, and welcome to the Modernist Monastery.
Unfortunately, meditation is a word that inescapably conjures preconceptions, most of which, while not necessarily negative, are also likely not helpful. At least in the West, when we hear the word meditation, images of incense and robes, candles and shaved heads, gongs and chanting appear. While certainly not inaccurate, this is hardly a complete picture, and very often those images end up exoticizing meditation, dismissing it, or pigeonholing it into just one thing. Meditation is extremely diverse, and saying the word meditation is more like saying the word sports instead of a specific game, like soccer or basketball. There are dozens and dozens of meditation techniques, methods, and hundreds of variations upon them throughout the overwhelming number of cultures and religions which practice it. But like defining smooth, defining meditation is difficult. Even in the Wikipedia article, the first major paragraph is devoted to discussing the lack of a universal definition for the word. However, there are a few academic definitions that might be worth noting just to have a place to start. Published in The American Psychologist, an entry titled The Meeting of Meditative Disciplines and Western Psychology, a Mutually Enriching Dialogue, defines meditation this way, quote, Meditation refers to a family of self-regulation practices that focus on training attention and awareness in order to bring mental processes under greater voluntary control and thereby foster general mental well-being and development, or specific capacities such as calm, clarity, and concentration. End quote. Not bad. Descriptive, if uninspiring. Instead, what is sometimes more helpful is to divide meditation into types or categories. Although, again, it should be noted that to a certain extent such divisions are inherently arbitrary, and are only useful for the ease of understanding and recognition. Very broadly speaking, some academics have divided meditation into four categories. Concentrative, generative, receptive, and reflective. Each of these could be the subject of their own podcast, and likely will be. Hence, this episode is only part one. It's also worth noting that this is excluding the physical meditative practices like yoga and walking meditation, which will also be considered in their own episode. But let us endeavor to give very brief descriptions to these categories. Receptive meditation, also known as openness, open monitoring, or mindfulness meditation, is certainly the most common. This involves opening up one's mind and senses to everything which comes to your awareness, whether it be bodily sensation or external stimuli. This is the clear your mind and unfocus kind of meditation. Concentrative meditation is the other major category and is the inverse of openness. This is intentional focus on a single thing such as breathing, a visualization in the mind, a spoken mantra, or even a physical object. Reflective meditation is mostly practiced in the West, particularly among Jews, Muslims, and Christians. It is also called contemplative meditation. It involves systematic thought, analysis, and contemplating or pondering an idea or concept, such as the nature of divinity, a riddle, saying, a passage of scripture, or the meaning of a virtue. 
generative meditation is centered around the development of qualities or attributes in the self, such as kindness, compassion, or love. This can be directed towards oneself or outwards, sometimes extending to all of creation. It is the most abstract of the four and largely has to do with a very hard-to-describe process of awakening or arousing a state of those attributes in oneself. As you can see, there are overlaps in these, and often meditation practices merge them together in intuitive ways. Almost every religious tradition has a meditative practice, but you need not be religious to meditate. Nothing about the practice of meditation requires you to believe any doctrine, dogma, cosmological, or theological idea. While spiritual ideas or concepts can certainly augment and direct meditative efforts, they are not required to practice it. As a good example, there are millions of practitioners of Zen-style meditation who are not religious Buddhists at all. This is because meditation is a practice, not a belief. A practice which is also scientifically supported and has shown to be very beneficial. Something to note is that because meditation is so varied, the scientific findings involved are typically centered around one style of meditation and may not apply to them all. The first item of interest is how meditation affects breathing, and therefore heart rate. During the first few minutes of beginning to meditate, oxygen consumption in the body slows by anywhere between 10 and 20%. This equals and far exceeds the typical 8% decrease that happens when you sleep, a decrease that only happens after three or more hours of sleeping. Multi-year meditators who have gotten more adept can sometimes drop to as few as 3 to 4 breaths per minute, as opposed to the average 12 to 16. As this happens, brain waves slow from alpha waves down into delta and theta waves, the same kind of waves occurring during the most bodily regenerative and rejuvenating parts of sleep. Consistent practice of certain meditations, primarily receptive and concentrative, has been shown to lower the production of stress hormones and lower lactate levels, the chemical which causes cramps and stiffness. While there are some studies which have attempted to show meditation affecting blood pressure, weight loss, addiction recovery, memory recall, and digestive health, the current data and studies are insufficient to really make any kind of solid claim yet. This is largely because meditation is very difficult to study and because only certain kinds of it are even testable at all. Perhaps this research will come along, as it has, with claims now largely vindicated, demonstrating that meditation can increase ability to pay and control attention over extended time frames. This has led to the discovery that meditative practices can have a positive effect on one's ability to perform a single task continuously without losing efficiency or quality. It also leads to less distraction by diverting information or stimuli and thus can make people more productive. A small but forthcoming body of evidence is being gathered to show that meditation can have a real impact on the development of classically pro-social behaviors such as empathy or compassion for others, as well as good listening skills. Clinical psychologists and psychiatrists, on the other hand, have been studying and employing meditation practices since the 1970s. Mindfulness, or receptive meditation, 
has been used and widely shown as one effective treatment for reducing chronic depression, stress, and anxiety. It has also been shown to provide a real, though obviously subjective, decrease in physical pain from any kind of symptoms the practitioner may be experiencing. It has also been shown to have a positive impact on personal self-worth, mostly from a reduction in negative self-think and self-talk. Lastly, though least able to be truly articulated, are the benefits touted by the spiritual or religious side of meditation. The development of patience, virtuous character, discipline, wisdom, inner peace, and other hosts of intangibles we would all love to have, and which are not measurable at all. There is, however, several thousand years of cross-cultural lived experience to fall back on in the absence of rigorous empirical data. From this, we can draw out what can be done today in your life, spiritual or secular, religious or rational. Meditation, like all practices, requires time, training, and technique to become truly adept. While it will come more naturally to some than others, it will take consistent practice for anyone to start seeing lasting benefits. Having someone to guide and teach you is also very helpful, though it is easier than ever to self-start with the internet, and there are plenty of guided meditations online that can help you put your toe in the water. Though many people outgrow them, guided meditations are a very good way to start a journey into meditation. Outside of that, check around your local community. Zen centers are getting more common than you might imagine, and there are also plenty of other organizations that offer meditation classes. Even with those things, the real core of meditation will always be your own private practice of it. As such, the first and most major step is to decide what kind or kinds of meditation you want to practice. I'll primarily focus on concentrative and receptive meditation, since generative is very personal and abstract, and reflective is largely a kind of uninterrupted, deep thinking about a given subject, something which many of you probably find yourself doing in places like the shower or in a particularly slow commute home from work. The two most popular and noticeably beneficial meditation styles to choose from are concentrative, also called focus meditation, and receptive, widely known as openness, open monitoring, or mindfulness. As a reminder, openness meditation involves opening one's mind and senses to everything around, bodily or otherwise. This is the clear-your-mind-and-unfocus kind of meditation. It is about opening yourself up and appreciating everything which falls into you. This is also the be-here-now-experience-the-moment kind of meditation. Broadly speaking, the point is to raise awareness, notice more of experience, experience that more fully, and appreciate what you find. Concentrative meditation is intentional focus on a single thing, breathing, visualizations, spoken mantras, or something else. Reflective meditation is also often paired with concentrative meditation, since the thing you may be focusing on could be an idea or concept. This is to increase your understanding and appreciation of a given thing. It is also to increase your ability to focus, reduce distraction and mental clutter, and develop a kind of mental discipline. 
For the religious, it is often used to dwell on some kind of spiritual mystery or doctrine. Once you've picked your overall category, it's time to start adding in the specific techniques you like. Though no matter what you're doing, the place you do it should be quiet, and making time to do it consistently is always helpful. Picking a posture, probably a sitting one, is likely the first technique you'll need to select. After that, deciding whether to use guided meditations, a mantra, meditation beads, breathing exercises, physical poses, music, chanting, or prayer are all up to you and will likely be a process of trial and error till you find what you like. You may find that you outgrow certain techniques or simply become tired of them. Learning techniques, customizing the space you use, the order you use your techniques, and the evolution of your practice is actually quite fun, and when taken seriously but joyfully, can be a personal, exciting, and rewarding experience. There are also great communities of meditators that can be a great way to make some like-minded friends. Talking about your meditative practice with others is always enriching. As a final note, be aware that while meditation is something that can absolutely improve your life, it is not necessarily something to be done casually. While for the vast majority of people, even people with anxiety or depression, meditation is helpful, but some who already suffer from major anxiety can have their symptoms worsen while practicing meditation, since it places them alone with their own thoughts and feelings. People who are already subject to ADHD or OCD or more severe conditions may find their symptoms worsened by meditation as well. Asking a therapist or doctor might be something to consider if you're worried, though again, for the vast majority of people, this isn't a problem. Give it a five-minute try, and you should find out pretty quickly if it makes you feel worse. With that said, though, it is also worth stating that there are many meditative traditions that say this period of increased anxiety is actually part of the process, and that facing and neutralizing it is an important step on your meditative journey. They view it as something to be expected, not feared. But all of this is only the barest surface of meditation, and it is something to which we will often return. It may seem overwhelming, but it's very simple to start, and meditation can be a great benefit to you over a lifelong period. The sooner you start, the sooner you will begin to see positive benefits, both mental and physical. For myself, personally, Almost nothing else has been a more fulfilling and illuminating daily practice. While, as Confucius said, the best time to plant a tree was ten years ago, the second best time is right now. I'm Dean Delp, and this has been Meditations on Meditation Part 1 on Modernist Monastery. <laughs>